Thank you, uh, Prue, for those prayers, uh, and Michelle for that Bible reading. Uh, friends, let me uh, pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you that through your word we can be changed through your word. We can have a greater understanding of who you are and, and how we ought to live. And Father, we pray as we look at the transfiguration this morning that you might prepare our hearts and minds so that we might be more willing to be the people you want us to be. And Father, so we just ask that you might be gracious upon us as we listen to you. And we do pray these things for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. You know, it's uh, easy to underestimate people, isn't it? Do you remember this bloke? In 1996, uh, we had the, uh, I just, uh, what's his name? Um, the Labor guy, Paul Keating. And I thought to myself, no one's going to knock Paul Keating off uh, uh, as uh, pres uh, Prime Minister. And then John Howard was uh, the opposition. I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding. What is the Labor Party thinking, Liberal Party thinking of? Having this bloke, short little Johnny Howard, well, I certainly underestimated him, didn't I? Uh, he became one of the longest-serving prime ministers, and he did that for 11 years, and uh, uh, some of the liberal uh, uh, gurus think that he was one of the best uh, prime ministers ever. Do you remember this bloke? Jonathan Thurston. Hands up those people, yeah? You know him more than you know the prime minister. <laughs> Jonathan Thurston, he was actually with Canterbury Bankstown. And at the time, Kenny Rubankstown thought, this guy's a bit of a no-hoper. We'll get rid of him. We'll sell him to the Cowboys. And uh, the, 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 uh, the halfback that they had then, uh, he only lasted an extra 12 months. But Jonathan Thurston became one of the greatest, uh, uh, seen as one of the greatest halfbacks uh, in the modern era. And, uh, but Kenny Rubankstown, the Bulldogs, certainly underestimated the talent of Jonathan Thurston. Well, in a similar way, the disciples, they underestimate Jesus. They thought they knew Jesus, but they didn't listen to him. And then they had this mountain experience. Folks, we're going to look at, firstly, the transformation in Jesus' glory. And uh, let me just uh, uh, reiterate uh, those verses that Michelle read. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and then led him up a high mountain by themselves. There, was the, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes become as white as the light. Just then uh, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. You know, the Greek word for transfigured is what we get the English word metamorphosis. Uh, uh, which is the process by which a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. And it has the idea of a complete change, a complete renovation, if you want, or reworking or conversion. And here is this man, Jesus. He's transfigured from a tradie who ate and drank with his disciples. Now, all of a sudden, there is this glorious, blazing light coming out of Jesus. And everything about Jesus, his face, his clothes were brilliantly bright. The disciples are rubbing their eyes because of this blazing radiance, this glory. And with Jesus is Moses, Elijah, who were transformed with Jesus. And they were 
uh, around hundreds of years before Jesus. Interesting, uh, Moses and Elijah, both men met God on a mountain. Both men suffered because of their faithfulness. Moses was the lawgiver. And Elijah was the great prophet. They represent what the Bible talks about, the law and the prophets. You may have heard that term. And Jesus says himself, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets and what they represent. You see, the law and the prophets, they looked forward to the day that the Messiah, God's anointed king, would come and save his people. The law, Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying the law completely. And Jesus fulfilled the prophets because he is the very word of God. And obviously Peter had claimed that uh, Jesus was the Messiah, God's anointed king. Um, in the Greek version, some of the texts you might have, it means Christ, same word, Christ Messiah, God's anointed king. But did he really know what he was saying when he said, you are the Messiah? Well, folks, I think Peter underestimated Jesus. Jesus is more than a religious guru, a, a wise teacher, a miracle worker, a healer. He is the almighty God in human form. And it wasn't enough that Jesus was with these great ones, Moses and Elijah. Then we hear this monstrous voice coming out of heaven, blazing down from heaven. And we hear these words, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's obvious uh, these words of God thundering down from the clouds. Uh, he actually picks up on two passages of scripture, one from Psalm 2, one from Isaiah 42. And Psalm 2 talks about the son, God's son, will be God's chosen Messiah. And it's interesting, those words, after with whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, they come from Isaiah 42, and that depicts a suffering servant. Interesting, God uses those words together. And what he is saying, the Messiah, God's chosen anointed son, will be a suffering servant. God is proclaiming Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. Jesus was about to establish his kingdom, an uncomparable kingdom, unstoppable kingdom, unrivaled eternal kingdom, second to none. And obviously we're talking about Jesus' kingdom as a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. But when he returns, he will take all his people and be with him to reign in heaven for all eternity. Is that good? Is that good? It's great, isn't it? We will reign with Jesus. And, and you know what? The disciples would never forget this transformation experience to the point that it brought absolute fear and they laid down, face, ground, uh, face down uh, in, in great awe. John mentions in his gospel these words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John was talking about the, the transformation. We have seen his glory. In other words, we have seen who he is. We have seen the radiance 
the victory of the Lord Jesus. Then we have the transformation in Jesus' cross. In verse 9, we read there, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone that you have seen until, the, until you have seen the Son of Man, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It presupposes that Jesus will die. But were the disciples listening? <laughs> were they listening? The disciples had to learn that suffering and glory go together. That Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, will also be the suffering servant, as God, as God said it when he thundered from the clouds. But in their minds, in the disciples' minds, a glorious conqueror were like Alexander the Great, who 350 years before Jesus, at the age of 30, had one of the largest empires, most successful commanders of all time. So when they're thinking kingdom, kingdom of God, they're thinking like Alexander the Great. They were thinking like Julius Caesar, 100 years before, who was a Roman general who ruled the Roman Empire. And the kingdoms that those blokes established were powerful under powerful rule and conquest. Jesus established a kingdom that would be by suffering, submissive suffering and a humble death. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to what? <laughs> Many times Jesus said he would die and, and three days later. The disciples didn't understand. They couldn't understand that Jesus would have to die, seeing he is the, the chosen Messiah, the Son of God. Why would he have to descend to suffer on the cross? Jesus was proclaimed by God at this transfiguration. And interesting, uh, the same words Jesus uses at his baptism, that the divine son of God would have to die. And to the disciples, that was incomprehensible. That was scandalous. That was horrendous. That was shocking blasphemous that God could die. And that's why last week, as John White mentioned, Peter had pulled Jesus aside and he rebuked Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? You've got to die. That wasn't the way to establish the kingdom. But Jesus was saying the only way to establish the kingdom was through his death and resurrection. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And they seem very harsh words. But Satan knows, the devil knows, the only way to to install the kingdom of God, for us to join with God in the kingdom of God, is through forgiveness. And friends, the only way we can be forgiven is through the death of Jesus. Is that good? That's what the gospel is. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus died in our place. Jesus obeyed the law. Jesus is the word of God. He substitute for our shortfall. You know, that's why Satan will say that the cross is foolish, it's stupid. He will tempt people into thinking that the gospel of Jesus is, is, is foolishness. Was Peter listening? Was he listening? Jesus' power was not seen in punishing and destroying his enemies like Alexander the Great and, uh, and, and Julius Caesar. 
The power of, was seen in Jesus dying for his enemies at the cross. And his death was proved victorious as Jesus rose from the grave three days later. The ultimate glory of the kingdom of God is seen in the victorious death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we've seen Jesus' transformation, his glory. We've seen what the cross has to do with it, that he will usher in his kingdom through his own death and resurrection. And what about your transformation? What about my transformation and repentance? In Matthew 11, we see, we see, to be sure, Jesus says, Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And some of you might be asking, well, what is the significance of Elijah? I mean, it was prophesied that uh, uh, he would come before the Messiah would come, before Jesus, the Son of God, the anointed King of God, would come. You know, there is great similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist. Both were confronted by an evil king. Elijah was confronted by King Ahab. Uh, John the Baptist by Herod. Both lived in the wilderness and ate uh, strange foods, uh, locusts and honey and all that type of stuff. Both had rough appearances and dressed up in camel's hair and so on. And both were victims of evil women, Jezebel and Herodias, respectively. But more importantly, both had a message of repentance. Both had the message of repentance as the forerunner before the Messiah would come. And repentance is saying, having that attitude, I want to change my ways. I want to open up my life so that Jesus might come in and take control. Friends, Jesus was the one crying out in the wilderness. And what was he crying? He was crying out the message of repentance. Change your ways. Come back to God. That's what he was shouting out. John the Baptist is preparing for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, we prepare for Jesus to come into our lives to forgive us. We prepare our hearts by repentance. Have you done that? Do you want to be transformed to the person Jesus wants you to be? Do you want to be the person that God wants you to be? Friends, the only way to share in the eternal kingdom is through our own personal transformation. We need to listen to Jesus. Last week, John looked at those words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me. Again, these are words about repentance. And the to be transformed to be like Jesus means going through suffering and death. Listen to him. What is he saying? To deny yourself is saying no to what I want to do. It's no longer what I want to do, but it's what God wants me to do. That's what repentance is. It's taking up your cross. In some ways, we all need to go through some sort of death experience and saying no to the right to, to, to lead my own life because Jesus has bought us for a price. To follow Jesus means to mimic his obedience. Are we doing that? 
You know, talk, Paul talks about repentance in the terms of transformation also. He says in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform, but be transformed. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, if we want to enter heaven, we need to change our thinking. We need to let the word of God absorb our lives because that's the only way we're going to change our attitudes. To be different from the world, to love truth and grace of Jesus' death and resurrection. Friends, transformation is a process. It's not a single event. It's a continual process until we reach heaven and theologians call it sanctification until we reach glorification and sanctification is a process each of us are going through slowly but surely hopefully we'll be becoming more like the Lord Jesus glorification is the finished product we will be like Jesus in heaven and we will reign with him for all eternity our lives folks need to be lives of repentance as we grow more and more to be like the Lord Jesus. You know, the, the longer I am a Christian, the more I find I need to confess my sins, the more I recognise my sinfulness attitudes. There is a great personal cost with repentance, but you know what? The spiritual benefits are unbelievable. Suffering and glory go together. In some ways, the transfiguration was the turning point for the disciples. Peter wants to capture this transformation experience. And he says, I know what Jesus, you know, I'll build a, a little uh, hut, a little shelter for, uh, for Moses, for Elijah, and one for yourself. But in reality, in reality, the only way to capture transformation is through listening to Jesus. Friends, I want to ask you again. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you? Friends, this is the main application of this passage of Scripture. God says, listen to him. We've just finished the book of James uh, during this uh, COVID time. And James is all about not only hearing the word, but doing the word. And James basically says, if you hear the word and you don't actually do it, you're crazy, you're foolish, you're dumb. Well, he doesn't say dumb, but he says, you're foolish. Faith without works is dead. And that will be seen in how we live as we serve, as, as we forgive others in our generosity and so on. Folks, I've been here for uh, 20 years and, and I'm so encouraged that I've seen great changes with some Christians because I can see they've denied themselves, they've taken up the cross and they're following, they're mimicking Jesus, and changes have happened in their life. Unfortunately for others, that change hasn't happened as quickly. I think that's because people want salvation without submitting to the Lordship of Christ. I think it's because they want the glory without the suffering. I think they want the kingdom of God without the cross and I think they want forgiveness without repentance friends if you're a Christian this morning I want to say listen to Jesus continue in the way you started listen to him believe that he died on the cross for your sins and continually to repent 
Ask him to help you change your attitude. If you're a non-Christian here this morning, basically I'm saying the same thing. Listen to him. Believe that Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can share in his eternal kingdom and keep on asking him to give you that spirit of repentance so that you might change your attitude to be like him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his word. Take time to pray, folks. Take time to read the scriptures. Allow the word of God to challenge you. Allow the word of God to change you. Fall in love with Jesus again. Those of you who are Christians, do you remember when you first became a Christian? Fall in love with him again. Some of us may have gone a bit cold. Fall in love with Jesus again. Don't underestimate the power of listening because it will transform your life. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your grace and your love. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It is so powerful and so challenging and it is full of grace and truth. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, those of us who are already Christians, those of us who are who really don't know much or considering Christianity. Help us to see Jesus as he is. Help us to respond to him in a way that we will know forgiveness, which will change our lives. And we do pray these things for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.